You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, we'll get started. And Bethany family and those that are joining us outside of our typical gathering here at church, welcome. Glad you've tuned in for this week to hear what God has to say to us out of Philippians and to gather again together. I'm just going to probably encourage you every week, it's okay to comment as things are going on and, and talk to one another. I'm not hearing any of it or seeing it, so talk away, greet one another. If I could say give a, a virtual handshake, do that. As you see people come on board, uh, say hello. And uh, it's nothing like real fellowship, is it? But it's, it's what we can do. So we're thankful for that. Um, Lo and behold, I do have announcements again, probably some of the same as what you've got in your email, but just to make sure, if you didn't read over that, to make sure you know that there are opportunities throughout the week to be connecting. Um, two of them, I'll just, I just want to point out in terms of kind of what we're doing as a church are online. Um, one is the ladies' uh, tea time, I think Hannah's calling it, to join Hannah for tea on Tuesdays at 3 o'clock via a, a Zoom meeting. And so that's at 3 o'clock on Tuesdays. You can text or call uh, Hannah. I'm not gonna, I won't give the Zoom info uh, here, but you can text uh, her, get a hold of Hannah um, if you want to be part of that. And then also on Wednesday evenings at 6 o'clock, we're continuing with our prayer and fellowship meeting at 6 o'clock. That's on on Zoom as well. Everyone, kids included, you're welcome to join us for that that time during the week. And again, if you want to know the meeting ID, I think I sent it in the email, but if you're seeing this and, boy, I'd like to be part of that, just text me, call me, uh, or leave a message here at the church, and we'll get you the information so you've got a way to get on. The neat thing that we discovered, some of you know this already with Zoom, but the, the neat thing is there are phone numbers if you don't have online access, which if you're watching on Facebook, you probably do, but if you don't or, or, or you know somebody in our church that, that doesn't but has a phone, there's a phone number. I think it's a long-distance call, but I don't know if they charge anymore for long-distance or not, but there's a phone number you can call to join and be part of the meeting. So even if you're, you're um, inhibited by lack of internet or internet quality or that sort of thing or you just don't want everybody to see you, which we would love to see your faces, then there's a way to call in for that too. That's in the email, but you can also um, get a hold of us. We'll get you information on that. Uh, another thing going on in the week, uh, Tuesday nights on Facebook at 7.15, we as a family watched the Gettys, uh, Keith and Kristen Getty last week, Tuesday night at 7.15 Central Time on Facebook. They're doing kind of a family hymn sing time. Uh, it's short. It's maybe 15, 20 minutes, something to gather your kids around, and uh, they put out the lyrics for it, and you can, if you're really savvy with your screens, you can do both uh, at the same time, but if not, you can just sing along with them. That's a great, great other way to not waste this time and enjoy some singing as a family. And then lastly, just again, the, the Encouragement Weekly is to really pick up the phone, pick up that old phone, make a phone call. And I would encourage you, find somebody in the church. Maybe the Lord will lead you to somebody, but give them a call and see how they're doing. Even if you think they're probably doing fine, call them. Maybe our older people, give them a call or somebody that the Lord puts on your mind. I would love to hear stories when we eventually, Lord willing, gather back together again and we have called one another 
and actually gotten to know one another a little bit more because we made a call. So do that. Pray with one another. Connect in that way. Maybe a scripture you read or something you saw was encouraging, and you can call that person and say, you know, I don't need to talk long, or we can, but here's just a verse I wanted to share. And let me just just encourage you weekly to be doing that. Take advantage of even just the phone lines to connect with one another. So do that. I want to thank those that have sent in uh, your giving, your tithes, your offerings to the church. Thank you. And we are giving that uh, to Brandon so he can deposit those. Thank you so much for doing that, taking the extra step to to put a stamp on it. Uh, You can drop it by at the church. I am around. I'm not putting an open close sign on, but I'm around if you call me. Uh, let me know, and you can, you can drop that by the church if, you, if that would be easier for you, or mail it in. Uh, again, our address is P.O. Box 428, Leroy, Minnesota, 55951. So you can review the live feed later, get that address again, but there it is for you. Wow, you'd think I wouldn't have much announcement. I got one more for you, and it came in the email, and it's a free ebook. And I don't know if you're into ebooks and reading them on a computer. It may not be the most enjoyable thing to do. I found them helpful, uh, but there is a free one put out by Crossway. I sent the link in the email, and maybe I can get it on Facebook here tomorrow, but it's called The Final Days of Jesus, and it's a book that will take you through, and, I, and I've not read the book, but I've watched the videos on it, and it takes you through basically today, which is Palm Sunday, through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the, the, the Passion Week or the Holy Week, and takes you through to uh, believe to the resurrection of Jesus and through each days and kind of pointing out the scriptures, and then some scholars give their takes on what was happening in that day and some, some information on that. So that's a book you could use, sit down with your family for maybe evening devotions together, um, read through it. In the email, there's also a link to a YouTube. I think they're, they're short, maybe under five-minute videos that you can watch just daily. And if you get to the first one, it'll have a link, I think, to the, to the next one and the next one. But you can um, just watch them daily. It's a great way to, to prepare this week for Easter. And that's uh, where we're going. And Lord willing, uh, we trust the Lord. I don't know where we'll be next week. I assume, if, like I said in the email, if nothing changes, we're, we're online again next week. But that does not mean we cannot have a most special Easter weekend is just might look a little different than what we're used to, uh, but in good ways. Good ways as a family to come together to read the Easter story again. Start at start at uh, Jesus' Last Supper, or start even earlier in the week, or read this free book, or or uh, read the crucifixion account and into the resurrection on Sunday, and lead your family. If you're home alone, just spend time in the Word together. Call a friend and, and read together and do that and can be a great way to prepare for Easter. So, all right. Well, I assume by now we're, anybody that's here is close to being here. Um, if the connection kind of fades out, again, I'll say if, if you lose us, we'll stop and reset, and we'll be back on again. Um, but hopefully that's not the case, but we're just working with technology, doing the best we can. So hopefully it works out for us today. Um, if it looks a little grainy at times, I'm thinking our upload speed from the church is not super fast, so it may not be your computer. It might be, might be our situation here. But um, let's go ahead and spend some time. Maybe you've already spent time worshiping the Lord in song this morning, or after I'm done, you can find that YouTube playlist. Sorry about the ads, or find that. Um, 
or just sing together as a family. I encourage you, find a song that you know and sing it together. Um, but we want to take some time to study God's Word in this next section of Philippians. So I invite you to find that Bible around the house or take a minute to go find one. We'll be in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 this morning. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I'll get a drink of water before we go here. Philippians 2. And as you're on your way there, oh, the Scavels, they sent me things. And if you send me something, this is like bonus week. If you send me a picture, it's probably going to come up on here. It's not, I don't have to pick, uh, I would love it if uh, many of you mailed mailed into that same address. But Malachi and Molly, thank you for your sweet note. But Malachi sent this in to me. Now, I'm thinking the words will be backwards on the screen, but I'll read it for you. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. And that was our section last week as we started through Philippians 1, uh, 1 through 4. Malachi's got a picture of, yeah, he's got preaching up here and with the word. I love that. And it's just a great picture. Malachi, we can hope one day we're, we're seated back together to learn together, to worship together, to fellowship here in this place. So I really appreciate you guys taking the effort to send those in and that's really sweet of you to do that. So hopefully you're there by now, Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 8, and we'll begin reading here in, in uh, God's Word. So starting in verse, you know, I'm just going to start with 1 because it ties in, so let me just start there. I didn't try to trick you. We'll start at 1, and then we'll, then we'll go all the way here. So here's what God's Word says, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to read the last part we'll look at next week, but it lastly says in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray as we get into God's Word. Lord, I'm thankful for the online community that has gathered to hear your Word today, and so I just pray for each one of us, including the preacher, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see today your wondrous cross work, your wondrous humiliation. How could the God of the universe humble himself for sinners like us? Lord, may we leave in awe of you and may we leave challenged to also humbly walk as you did. 
So, Father, I just pray for your spirit to work in the hearts, Lord, of each one tuned in here as, as they sit in their own homes, in their own places, Father, that you would work for your glory, for your exaltation in all things. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you're watching this or perhaps later on you're listening to this on the podcast, I want to ask you a question, and I don't, I don't want you to answer it too quickly, and if you're watching as a family, you don't have to answer it out loud, but I want to ask you a question, and it goes like this. How far or to what extent are you willing to follow in the footsteps of Christ? How far or to what extent are you willing to follow in the footsteps of Christ? If you are, in fact, a follower of Jesus, how far are you willing to go to follow him? We might say, well, yeah, sure. We want to think about that today because of where Jesus went. Last week, we read about the call from Paul here in Philippians to humility, having the gospel as a foundation, that indicative that precedes the command or the imperative. I've got the gospel. It's a foundation to my action of good works. And the call was to count others more significant or look to the interests of others. Look to your own interests, but look, but even more, look to the interests of others. And we would agree this is a good thing. We should be humble people. We live in a world of me first, and we should seek the good of others. But the question is, again, how far are you willing to go for others? To what extent? And what Paul's going to introduce today, what we've already read in, in the Scripture, is the supreme servant of God, Christ Jesus, who went far, who in humility went all the way, didn't he? All the way to the cross. In obedience. And in obedience to the cross, he did that, that he might reconcile us rebels to himself, to God. And I believe that this cross, the cross work, that's the high bar as it relates to humility and caring for one another. As we look to our text, verse 5 is really the bridge that connects what I read in 1 through 4 and then what follows in 6 through 11. In a way, it's a sort of conclusion to 1 through 4. Paul's already exhorted the Philippians, in humility, count others more significant. Look to the interests of others. And so then look at verse 5. I'll read it here. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul is calling the Philippians to a a certain type of thinking, a mindset in verses 2 through 4. And then the best way, in fact, the only way for that, for that mindset in verse 5 is to have a mindset of Christ, for Paul to point to Christ, the one who he lives for, the one who, if he dies, that's gain because I'm with Christ. Paul sets up Christ here as our example. Now, Let me just pause and say this passage as a whole uh, represents and presents much for scholars to debate on. There's words that we can get into um, in the midst of this, and if we did, we would probably be here for for a lot longer, and I had to really trim down this. So so what I'm doing for time's sake, I'm assuming most of you don't want to hear all the arguments and the the this and that and the scholar and that sort of thing, but... I'm just going to try to state, here's my opinions, how I'm looking at this text, again, helped by other scholars, that sort of thing. 
just know you're welcome to study this more on your own. And in particular, in verse 5, we see the kind of the first of these. And um, in verse 5, there, if you're in the ESV, you perhaps have an alternate wording. You've got, after which, where it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, you have a little, a little footnote, a little one that says, or, and if you follow that, if your eyes can get that or read that small of print, it says, or, another way to say it is, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or it could say, which, is all, which was also in Christ Jesus. In my limited Greek knowledge, okay, just limited, I believe that the footnote is closer to that original wording, which points towards this section of Christ being our example. Now, he's not, and I appreciate what Piper has said, he's not, he's not only that, but he is that, but that's not what he only is. Certainly, we've got to keep in mind other writings of Scripture where Paul says, like Galatians 2.20, a familiar one, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We're most certainly, we are new creatures in Christ. We're blessed in Christ, Ephesians 1.3, with every spiritual blessing. So absolutely, we're united uh, in Christ by his spirit. We have this new mind. But here, here in this passage, I think Paul's specific call is to look at the example of Christ and so think like Christ thinks. And I'm not saying do this on your own, in your own power. But, but Paul's point in this passage is Christ, our example. Look at what he did and emulate, imitate that. And that's what we're looking at here. And hopefully you see that as we go along. Now, one other thing before we get further into verses 6 through 11. And really, verses 6 through 11 give us an exclusive focus on Christ here. Many look at these verses as perhaps an early Christian hymn. And depending on the Bible version you're using, maybe some of yours make it kind of look like poetry with the stanzas and, and the different indenting and that sort of thing. Some of you might have that. Some of you don't. But that's how some look at it. Some think perhaps Stephen, or yeah, Stephen, who was martyred, maybe he wrote it. Um, Or perhaps it was written maybe prior to Paul's use here. Some sort of hymn of the early church. Well, what we do know, hymns were part of the church. So to say that, that's not a stretch. Hymns were part of it. Jesus and his disciples, uh, on the night he would be betrayed, they sang a hymn after supper. Paul and Silas. In jail, in Philippi, by the way, they were doing what? They were praying and they were singing hymns. I mean, maybe this was a hymn Paul was singing. We, we don't know. Paul in Ephesians 5, he tells believers to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So hymns were a part of the church. And so here, if this is a song, and I can, I can see an argument for it being an early hymn, it, it is a glorious song. I'm thinking Paul wrote it, but could be. Did he, did he use it and kind of use it in this manner? Perhaps, and, and others can argue more about that. But it is a glorious song of two things, of Christ's humiliation and then his exaltation. So you go from Christ, from the presence of God, to the depths of the cross, to then what I read and and what we'll get to next week, 9 and 11, the exaltation of Christ as well. 
And these themes, these themes of humiliation and exaltation, they're both present in this text here. The going down in these verses 6 through 8, you can think of it as going down a staircase. These steps down. Here's, here's Christ, quality with God, something not to be grasped. Here's becoming man. Here's the cross. These stairways down of humiliation to the cross. Ultimately, though, it doesn't end there. There's exaltation as well. Theologians call these the states of Christ. R.C. Sproul refers to them as Christ's roles. Um, kind of, and when we think of the work of Christ, these roles of Christ, the first one, as we get into verse 6, is Christ's eternal nature as God. And we need to, that's where it starts, I think, to understand the humiliation to the last step down of the cross. So look at verse 6 again. And it kind of begins, who, so who, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The first phrase here, who, though he was in the form of God, that gives us a glimpse. It's short, but it's a glimpse of the pre-existence of Christ. And what that means is that Christ, who we celebrate, right, at Christmas time, he was born in Bethlehem, the baby born in Bethlehem, did not come into existence at Bethlehem. He was in existence eternally before that point. He was in the form of God. You could say he was possessing, it's verse 6, he was in the form of God or possessing the nature of God. He existed before. In other parts, John 17, 5, to kind of help us understand this pre-existence, this eternality of Christ before he ever came as a babe. John 17, 5, Jesus prays before his night of trial, and he says in part, he says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You hear what that's saying? Jesus was, still is, was gloriously God. In the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they get a glimpse of who Jesus really is when his clothes became radiant. And they were intensely white. And that, that veil is pulled back in a way. Hebrews 1.3, the writer describes Jesus as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And just one more place, just to show the eternal Godhead of Jesus. Paul in Colossians says in two places, says of Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's 119. And then elsewhere in Colossians 2.9, in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So can you hear what Paul is saying here in these scriptures that this one This Jesus, he's God. He's the I am who being in the form of God or the nature of God did something marvelous and really that we should never totally understand. This God became flesh. And what he did in verse 6, the second part of it, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus being God himself, And Paul uses the same word here for count. Maybe you can see that in your text that he did in verse 3. Remember verse 3, he said, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Well, Jesus here is of supreme significance 
And what does he do? He does not grasp after his godhood, but as we'll see in verse 7, he made himself nothing. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Are you starting to see the contrast that Paul is making of us really in Christ? We, we are rivals. We can be conceited. We're going to look out for number one, which is us, our own pride. In a sense, we become little G, little gods ourselves. Serve me. I want it this way. You have offended me. All these sorts of things we can think of. And yet Jesus, God himself, did not grasp, did not hold on to his status, but gave it up in humility. Verse 7 then elaborates. So look at verse 7. This preexistent God, Jesus, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So the step down here is Christ who took on the nature of man. And the question here in this verse is, because your text may read that Jesus emptied himself, what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? And perhaps you're familiar with that, that hymn, And Can It Be, you know, that song, and there's that line in there, Jesus emptied himself of all but love. And is that, is that what this means? Did Jesus somehow, did he, did he become less God? The short answer Minus all the explanation is no, he's God. He stayed God. But many scholars, and that's where we're not getting into a lot of the work, many uh, would say, well, well, that emptying, that's, that's something more there. One theory called the, the kenotic theory or kenosis, where the, it's coming from a Greek word, this, this word for emptying here. It says in essence that Jesus emptied himself of his, really gave up his deity, emptying himself of in fact being God. That's what a theory can be. Now, again, we can spend much time, and, and again, maybe we'll come back after Easter is over on a Sunday and explore this more because there's much more. And this is really what the, what the early church dealt with. For, for many of the beginning years of the early church, the councils that you hear about and, and these sorts of things are dealing with the debate regarding the nature of Christ. Who is Christ, both his deity, he's God, and his humanity, and how those two are two natures, and yet he's one person, and so there was debate, and rightly so. Again, the debate, if Jesus is not God, we've got no salvation. We can't save ourselves. God must save. But if Jesus is not a man, then he is not a representative. He can't be a substitute for our sins on the cross. And so we hold to both, and it's both mysterious, and there's, I think there's ways we can understand it. It's mysterious at the same time. The word emptied here can be hard to understand unless we understand it, and maybe this is helpful, with the idea of this is a subtraction by addition. A subtraction on Jesus' part by addition. And you might say that sounds nothing like math. What online math course are you taking, Pastor Mike? It's not my phrase that I use, but I find it helpful. I've seen it elsewhere to understand this emptying. Instead of an emptying by way of Jesus losing his uh, divine nature, which we see none of the, the rest of the New Testament supporting, he is God. He is God in the flesh. 
The emptying was, was a laying aside by, as verse 7, look further in verse 7, a taking. That's where we get the subtraction by addition. The taking the form of a servant. Remember, Jesus in his pre-existent uh, state of glory with God, he was no slave. He was God, the author of life. By him all things were created, through him and for him. But for salvation to rescue rebels in sin, Jesus then emptied himself, or as I've got an older ESV version says, made himself nothing, and he became a servant, took on that servant. I, I think it's the sense of it's giving up glory that we looked at in John 17, giving that glory up that occurred when Jesus was born then in the likeness of men. I like the comment by the writers of the the ESV Study Bible here. They say this, Paul is stressing that Christ, who had all the privileges that were rightly his as king of the universe, gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby bound for the cross. A babe lying in a manger, a feeding trough, shepherds around him, born in a most humble way, As the song says, this is such a strange way to save the world. And yet Jesus then in Mark 10.45 that we looked at, it's been a couple years now. Remember what he said there? He said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humble servanthood. It's Christ's. So Jesus, without losing one ounce of deity, In a way, again, ultimately known only to God. It's a mystery. Jesus, who deserved all praise and honor, gave it up in humility. He was born in human likeness, faced temptation, was rejected by others, challenged as a mere man. You know, who do you think you are? But ultimately, ultimately, as we move to verse 8, humbled to the point of obeying, to the point of death on the cross. Look with me at verse 8 then. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me just point out here, at least in the ESV, you've got the wording Jesus being found in human form. And that word form there is not the same Greek word as though he was in the form of God from verse 6. It's different. It means that Jesus' outward form appeared as a man, which maybe can make us think that Jesus was really not a human. He just appeared that way. But again, that's not the testimony of the entire New Testament. We've got to take that as we look into some of these specific areas is to remember the whole counsel of God. So good to do it. All the places where we study that we don't go, well, there there it went. No, he was a man. He rested like men. He was asleep in the boat. He ate like men. He was not a ghost. He was truly a man. John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think Paul here, he's helping us understand Jesus' humility in his taking on of humanity. He's not appearing as the Lord in all his glory. He's appearing as a man. He's an obedient man. Jesus fully obeyed as a man. This is referred to theologically, Jesus 
active obedience. He actively obeyed. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said there, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He perfectly obeyed the Father. When tempted, he was not led astray. He always, and unlike us, he always did the will of God. He obeyed. And even, it says, to the cross. And that's what led Jesus to the ultimate place of humility. We find that climax of humility at the cross. A few things about this death on a cross. Um, Well, just one thing. One quote I want to read from the ESV. Again, study Bible. Find it helpful. Maybe you will uh, as well. Thinking about crucifixion. It's not just one in the line of other ways to die, but listen to their explanation of it here. They say this, Crucifixion was not simply a convenient way of executing prisoners. It was the ultimate indignity, a public statement by Rome that the crucified one was beyond contempt. The excruciating physical pain was magnified by the degradation and humiliation. No other form of death, no matter how prolonged or physically agonizing, could match crucifixion as an absolute destruction of the person. You hear what they're saying in here? They go on. It was the ultimate counterpoint to the divine majesty of the preexistent Christ. And thus was the ultimate expression of Christ's obedience to the Father. Ultimately, humbly obeying to death on a cross. And that's where Jesus' humility led him. This Jesus who gave up his own glory to take on flesh, what did he get in return? He got death on a cross. It didn't end there, but that's ultimately where his humility led to. And that's, I think, what true humility has as a main ingredient. For us, humility is really dying to self on the throne. It's dying to my pride and my rights. This is, this is my way, the way I want it done. And it's counting others more significant. And yet we grasp at self. We grasp at me. Self comes first. But the call to humility is really a call to dying to the dying of self. Jesus says again, I've quoted it often and probably will quote it often, says this in Mark 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Paul cannot teach the Philippians any better lesson on humility than simply saying, look at Christ. Look at what he has done. He denied himself. He literally took up the cross, not for people that were were worth it. I mean, we have value being made in the image of God, but we were rebels against him, dead in our sins and transgressions. And his humility brought him to the cross to rescue sinners. I want you to lastly turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Look at Matthew 21, and you'll see when you get there why why we're heading there on this particular 
day, Palm Sunday, Matthew 21. I'm going to read 1 through 11 in a bit here, but Matthew 21, 1 through 11. It is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of the Easter week leading to that humiliation, that bloody cross on Friday, the subsequent burial, and yet the resurrection of Jesus on that glorious Sunday. But here in Matthew 21 on this Palm Sunday, I I want you to see one more glimpse of the humility of Christ. And so see if you can find it. I think you'll see it as we read through this passage. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Jerusalem, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, or put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Leon Morris, I'm going to read an extended quote, speaks of this moment of the king coming in on a donkey. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. He says this, In antiquity, a king would not normally enter his capital riding on a donkey. He would ride in proudly on a war horse, or perhaps he would march in at the head of his troops. An ass was the animal of a man of peace. It would be used by a priest or a merchant or an eminent citizen. But the ass Jesus rode was no well-bred animal meant for the convenience of the wealthy. It is specifically called a beast of burden. It was a lowly animal. A king on an ass was almost a contradiction in terms, though, of course, sometimes in times of peace, a king would use an ass. That Jesus rode into the city in the way he did was a significant affirmation of his character and his purpose. The pilgrims, I think he's talking about these people around, the pilgrims might shout their acclaims and Think of a king who would fight against the Romans and throw them out of the country. But Jesus viewed himself as the king of peace. And in order to grant us peace, this Jesus would end up on a humble cross. It was the lowest of lows. In fact, below the low for Christ, eternally existing as God, to be nailed, to be humiliated there. Yet it is in that place, it is on that cross, that by his wounds we are healed. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So the question for us is, does this type of humility show up in our lives, in your life, in my life? Will it show up in how you treat others cooped up in the same house as you are? 
Will it show up in our caring for one another, thinking of them more importantly, to the, to the point of dying if we must? I want to encourage you to join Jesus this week on the humble road to the cross. Do not grasp at life for your own sake. I would encourage you, let go of pride and then hold on to the humble Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, if we're honest at this moment, there is much pride in each one of us that we could say, I have not been humble. I have sought self over anything else. I've not been willing to die. I want to live for my kingdom and my glory. Lord, that is not the way of the cross. You've called us to follow you, to leave that old man behind. And we are, we have been made new in Christ. And so we can rise. We can do what you've called us to do because you've given us your spirit. You've rebirthed us. We're regenerated for those in Christ to have these fruits of the spirit. So I just pray for each of our hearts, Lord, that you would work in us this week, that we would be known not as a great people, but as a humble people seeking to exalt the Lord above all things and seeking to humbly obey as we count others more significant than ourselves, as we look to our own interests but look to the interests even more so of others. Lord, do that work in our hearts. Do that work in the homes where we are bound for the time being. Do it in the calls we will make, in the ways that we can sacrificially give uh, towards others. And Lord, prepare us. None of us know where the next day is going except you. And we rest there. But prepare us, Lord, for days where the the sun is shining and this virus has just passed and it was just a a couple months stint. Or it did get worse. And we're we're wrestling in that. We're in that moment. Lord, give us a humble uh, countenance about us, Lord, to be willing to to ultimately die for the sake of others, for their salvation, that they would know you, Lord. And so we pray for this work of you in our lives, scattered abroad in our different homes this morning. Lord, that you would bless these homes. Your face would shine upon these homes. You'd be glorified and magnified in this time that we are away. And Lord, we pray you would bring us back together again one day to worship in loud voice and song together in this place. Hallelujah to the King of Kings, for you reign, Lord Jesus. So we pray this in his name, the name of Jesus above every other name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.